Hello, Crossroads and guests. This is Pastor Lee. We're so glad that you've tuned in to our podcast today. I want to let you know about our website, wherelifechanges.com. There you can find more about church events, ministries, and giving options. Check out my blog at pastorlee.org, and you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at crcc underscore social. Find us at Facebook at facebook.com forward slash changes. We really hope the message today inspires and encourages you to worship passionately, serve others, and share truth. Now let's jump into the message. Well, today we want to, uh, I'm taking a break from the relationship series. I hope you all have been enjoying enjoying that. Um, But I want to talk a little bit about Christmas and the meaning of Christmas and and, uh, and what it should mean to us. Uh, Christmas moves the world. Everything changes. I don't mean just in the Christian circles. I mean everything, everywhere. The whole world changes during the season of Christmas. It, it changes because you have decorations that go up, lights that go up. How many of y'all put up lights? Are there any like crazy people that got like a million lights on your house? Because if so, we want to pray for you and anoint you and ask God to help you. Um, it changes. The music changes. You go into department stores and you, and you might hear songs about Jesus. I like that. We may not be acting like Jesus, but at least you hear the songs about Jesus. Every, everything changes. The, the business world changes colors. It is said that uh, on Black Friday, as we move into the Christmas season, that businesses then go from the red into the black. It takes them that long to make a profit, then they make a big one. But everything begins to change. And how many of y'all do Black Friday? Anybody do Black Friday and go, praise the Lord? For the most part, pretty intelligent church right here. So it's good. It's good. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We did Black Friday one time, and um, that was it. I was done. That was enough for me. I was, I was glad. And so when you talk about Black Friday or the, the newest toy and everything, the, the newest toy I remember is a Cabbage Patch doll. Y'all remember that? About 20-something years ago. And that's what I remember. And so every, everything changes in in, in, in this season, the, this year alone, the statistics are that 113 million people will travel. Will travel, just go to see family, go to see somebody over the holidays. So everything changes, everything completely transforms, the whole world changes, uh, secular, Christian, everything changes. And it's not just here, but it's all over the world and, it, and it's everywhere and everything is different. And, and many of the, the atheists in our, in our world that would like to attack holidays will never be able to destroy Christmas. They won't. That's a good thing. The reason may not be so good. The reason is because there's too much money involved. There's too much commercialism. There's too much wrapped up in how much money the businesses make and how much money we spend. Either way, it's never going to go away. But I believe over time we are losing Christmas. Some of what Zach said at the very beginning, we, we are losing it. It is being corrupted more and more. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm not going to sit here and say that we shouldn't go... Uh, buy presents, that we shouldn't give presents, that we shouldn't get together. What I'm saying is that we're losing the meaning of Christmas more and more and more. And, and part of it is we're losing the meaning of Christ 
even in the church, more and more. And, and, and the whole idea of who he is and who he's supposed to be to us is, is diminishing week by week, month by month. And you've heard me talk about here in the U.S. that uh, church attendance is way down. Why is it way down? The people still say they believe in God. They still believe in church. They still believe in Christ. They still believe, that, but they don't go to church. And so what happens when you don't go to church? What happens when you don't have the personal disciplines of daily reading your Bible, going to church, getting together with a community of believers? It gives the enemy little footholds. And when you get out of those habits, the enemy can get in, and slowly he begins to corrode your faith. Not that you would ever say, well, I don't believe in Christ anymore, but he corrodes your daily faith, the way you live, the way you make decisions, the way you look at the world, and the way that you respond to what's going on around you. And the next thing you know, you're doing things that you shouldn't be doing. You're doing things you don't want to do. You're saying things to people you love that you should never say. And relationships are being broken, and, and everything is falling apart. Why? Because we need our daily bread. If we don't get Jesus every day, then we don't have him enough. Amen. The whole story of the Old Testament with a man of fallen from heaven, God said, go out and collect what you need today. If you get any extra, it's going to go bad. Some people try to get extra. It went bad. The whole point was you need me every day. I am the bread from heaven. You don't get him every day, then you're not going to have enough. Amen. Amen. And, and the same is true. He said on the Sabbath day, the Sabbath day is holy. The Sabbath was every seventh day. And so there is something about the way I have been designed as a human being invaded by the human sinful nature that every seven days I need to be with you. And you need to be with me. Whether you like me or not, you need me. That was just a joke. I hope you like me. Amen. There's just something about it. We need one another. We need to be together. In the New Testament, they would gather, the Christians would gather together in homes, and then they would still go to the temple. What we do when we gather together on Sunday morning, then we also have uh, times where we get together, Sunday school, lifelines, whatever we want to call it. We are attempting to duplicate what the early Christians did in the New Testament. And we need that. And when we don't have it, things begin to fall apart, and, and things begin to have less meaning to us. And traditions begin to fall away. We forget things. We don't understand things. Things that used to be very common to the church are lost. Songs that people used to know, nobody knows. Traditions that, that used to be very important to the church are, have less and less meaning over time. And the reason is because we, we are not staying true to who we say we are and what we say we believe. Amen? And so I, I want to get back to the true meaning of Christ. We understand how the world responds to Christmas. When Christmas hits, everybody goes crazy. Everybody spends a lot of money. People spend more money than they should. Everybody gets the turkey, the ham, all that kind of goods, which I really don't mind that part. I'm just telling you. I don't mind. <clears throat> I did. I did. I want to show you all. Somebody gave me a, a Christmas gift here. My favorite thing. Let me just pull it out. It's Bluebell. Let's put that. There you go. <laughs> that cracked me up. So let's talk about the true meaning of Christmas. Enough of this stuff. In Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David. Everybody say town of David. 
because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. Everybody say shepherds. Keeping watch over their flocks at night, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Now, 40 weeks or so earlier, an angel appeared to Mary in the middle of the night. And you remember, Mary had fear, and the angel said, do not be afraid. He said, for you have been chosen, you are blessed and highly favored, and you're going to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And, and she wasn't exactly sure what to do that. She received it as a servant. We know that an angel also appeared to Joseph and told Joseph, Joseph, we know that you're thinking about divorcing Mary because it seems like she has been unfaithful, but the child that she has is from the Holy Spirit. Do not divorce her. And he listened as a servant. We know that an angel appeared to the parents of of John the Baptist, who was born just a a, a little bit before Jesus. And and so when you think about it, all this time has gone by from from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden with Moses. And you go through Abraham and, and, and all the prophets, there has been this talk of a Messiah. And, and the nation of Israel has been waiting for someone to deliver them. They have been in captivity. The Babylons, the Assyrians, now the Romans, over and over and over again, they are being in captivity. They are being oppressed. Everything is bad, and they're waiting for a Savior. They're waiting for a deliverer to show up. And they have been talking about it for centuries. But on the day that Jesus was born, only about four people knew. Mary, Joseph, John the Baptist, mom and dad, a donkey, a pig, maybe a llama, and that was it. Can you imagine the most momentous night ever? The night that changed the history of the world forever. And nobody knew. Mary and Joseph couldn't find room in the inn. You know the story. And so they were out in a stable. And so here they are, this life-changing moment, this, this glorified being being personified and manifested in a human body, being born to a virgin, laying in a manger. And so God becomes man. Everything changes, and nobody knows. And so they're in this stable, and and you can imagine what's going on through their mind. Here I am, and I've got this baby, and I can't even uh, have a a good room for this. And this child is supposed to be the savior of the world, and here we are, and, and, and nobody's here. Nobody knows about it. There should be something going on. So what does God do? He sends an angel to make a proclamation. 
And the angel goes to the shepherds living in the fields nearby, and he proclaims. And I want to read that again, what the angel said. He says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Amen? A sign. What was this sign? He said, this will be the sign. You will find the baby, and he'll be laying in a manger, a feeding trough, and he'll be wrapped in swaddling clothes. That's, that's the clothes that the maids would use to milk the cows. He'll be wrapped up in that, laying in a feeding trough. And because you see the baby like this, you will know that's the Messiah. That's the baby that's going to change everything. If the angels hadn't have told him that, they wouldn't have known. The baby would have been born. Nobody would have known none the wiser, and, and, and life would have continued. So God makes this proclamation in the sky to the shepherds and said, here, you need to know this. That baby is the Messiah. That baby is going to change everything. That baby is not like any other baby ever born or ever will be born. That baby is the only begotten son of God. And the son of God was born in a stable. The king of kings lay in a feeding trough. The most influential man in history was born surrounded by the stench and the filth of barnyard animals. The angels had to proclaim it. How else would you know? Would you expect a king to be in a feeding trough? Would you expect the the coming Messiah that every prophet has been talking about since the beginning of time, that, that, that this prophet, that this man of God, that this son of God, that God himself manifested, that this God man would now be born in a feeding trough? No one would have ever expected that. And so God had to send an angel and say, you need to know that baby is the Messiah. I know it may not look like it. I know it, everything is dark and there's no lights and, and there's animals and there's a stench and, and there's no cover. I understand it doesn't look like that, but that baby, and the way you'll know is because he's laying in a feeding trough. And when you see him in that utter humility and when you see him wrapped up in the milk clothes and when you see that, then you know that's the Messiah. It was so much against what anybody would have ever expected. If you remember the Magi, the Magi came a few years later, and they're trying to find the king. They had seen a star in the east, and in their tradition, this star meant that the king of the Jews had been born. And so when they went looking for the king, where did they go? They went to the king. They went to King Herod and said, hey, we heard the new king just was born. Why did they go there? Because that's what everybody expected. A king should be born in a palace. A king shouldn't be born in a feeding trough. The son of God. And that's where they went. Humanity had no idea. And so God proclaimed, this baby is the Messiah. Our response to Christmas should first and foremost be that we proclaim that this baby, that everybody sits out in their front yard, that this baby that all these nativity scenes have, that that baby is the Messiah. Amen? It, it is, it is um, 
something to think about this because there is a reason that the Holy Spirit has put this story in the Scripture. How many great men do we know, and we don't celebrate the birth of any of them? We may know the day they were born, but if we celebrate them, it's for what they did. We celebrate just the fact that this child was born. For no other reason, even before he did anything, we celebrate just the fact that he was born because we knew what was going to happen. There is a reason why it's in the scripture. The prophets didn't start out, and we don't have in the whole, where the Holy Spirit says, and, and here's the first day of Jesus' ministry. We don't learn about him when he does his first miracle. We don't learn about him with his first sermon. We don't learn about him when he finally turns 30 years old. We learn about him the day he is born. Why? What does it matter? What does it matter? What, what is the purpose behind him? And, and I would say to you that it had to be proclaimed that the baby, innocent, helpless, relying upon his mother, laying in the dark, surrounded by sheep, it had to be proclaimed that the baby is the Messiah. Why is that so important? Because the way Jesus came into this world is indicative of how he rules. The way he came as a child is indicative of how he comes to us. It's indicative of who he is. You see, the world expected a mighty king. They expected a great warrior. But instead, they got a baby laying in a feeding trough. They were expecting somebody who would come and dominate the Roman culture, that would dominate the Roman Empire, that would set the Jews free. Instead, they got a baby crying by donkeys. They, they expected a God who was just going to show up with lightning and thunder and wipe everybody out. And instead, they got a baby crying because he's hungry. And the angel said, the baby that's crying, the baby that can't do anything on its own, the baby that's just laying there, can't talk, can't walk, can't do anything, completely relying on his own mother out in, that's God in man. In the Old Testament, God said, it is not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Everybody just say that. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. He was trying to help us understand how he rules. He doesn't come in and force anything. He doesn't come in and move things. He, he doesn't manipulate. He doesn't make us do anything or make somebody else do anything. But by his spirit, what spirit is that? The Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit, the fruits of the spirit are love and peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Amen? And so he says, I I'm going to show up as a baby. I want you to understand how I rule. I'm going to show up as a baby that can't do anything but love his mom. No miracles are coming out of this child. No powers coming out. No lightning, no thunder, nothing. Just a baby laying there and a baby crying for his mom. And he said, that's, that's who I am. That is the Messiah. This is how I will save the world. I'm not going to save the world by bringing in an army. I'm not going to save the world by, by all these great miracles. I'm going to save the world by simply loving them. And we don't understand that. 
The world is still looking for a God that's just going to make everything happen. It's just going to come in, and, and just like the Jews of the New Testament wanted a, a, a military leader to come in and wipe out the Romans, we as Christians are still looking for God. God, just show up and tell my brother-in-law to keep his mouth shut. Please. Lord, just, just touch my body. Let me eat the pecan pie and not increase in this area at all. I got to praise the Lord for that. We want God just to show up and do it. Lord, I'm still in pain because my wife left. Just show up and take the pain away. Lord, I don't know how to deal with my son. Just show up and fix him. See, we're not looking for a military power, but we're still looking for that same God that would just show up and just force everything to be the way we think it should be. And so what he's saying is, you need to understand the baby is the Messiah. The child that can do nothing but love is me. That's how I save. That's how I transform. That's how I move mountains. That's how I do miracles. That's how I change the world. That's how I save marriages. That's how I restore health. That's how I give you peace. It's not by this this magnificent power just rushing and, and changing everything and making everybody do what we think they ought to do. It is not by power, not by might, but by his spirit, by love and joy and peace and pain. He says, through these things I will work. That's why you have to understand that the baby is the Messiah. God born in a manger. We're still looking for a God who would just show up and give us a job. Looking for God who would just show up and stop the pain. A God that would just end all the suffering in the world. We still want that God. We still want that God. It's amazing to me how many Christians will get involved in politics and we think, well, if we just get the right law, if we just get the right law, then we can change everything. Or if we just get the right person in office or the right this or the right that. And we get so involved and, and, and we see Christians just on fire in politics. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying you shouldn't be involved. We ought to be influencing our culture as much as we can as Christians. But what I'm saying is none of that will bring answers because none of that changes hearts. I don't care who the president is or who the vice is or who the governor is. Nobody is going to change somebody's heart except for Christ. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. And, and he, he doesn't do it by forcing things. He says the baby, the baby is the Messiah. The baby that's just laying there, just love it, just pure, innocent love. That's how I'll change everything. That's how I change everything. He's the baby in the stable. He says the Messiah, the Savior of the world, is, is the, the, the baby surrounded by the filth, the beauty in the midst of the chaos. He said, this is who I will be. This is how I will deliver you. I do not deliver what's outside of you, but I will change what's inside of you. And he becomes our strength when we're weak. Amen? He becomes our peace in the storm. See, we want a God that will calm the storm. 
And he's saying, the storm is going to go. I'm not going to change the storm because in the storm, you learn how to pray. And in the storm, you learn how to turn to me. And in the storm, you don't forget who I am. When there's no storms, you go off and do whatever you want. So there's going to be storms, but I'll be your peace in the middle. I'll be your baby in the filth. I'll be the beauty in the midst of this ugly scene that with such smell and stench and, and, and the filth all around. In the middle of all of that, in the middle of the nativity scene, that we, we make it all beautiful. But trust me, in that day, it was not beautiful. But that baby was. And God says, this is how I do it. This is how I do it. I am your Messiah in the middle of your stable. I'm the God that gives you strength when everything is bad. Amen. He is our Messiah laying in an manger, laying in a manger. Let me keep reading Luke chapter 2, verse 16. Talking about the shepherds, it says, So the shepherds, they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. I'm going to talk to you about the second response. Our second response to Christmas should be that we pursue Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Everybody say Bethlehem. Bethlehem means the the house of bread. And Jesus was the bread of life. It was where mainly shepherds were, and Jesus would become the shepherd of his people. But Bethlehem was known as the town of David. It was the city of David. Now, in the scripture, when you read, there are actually two cities of David. You have Bethlehem. Everybody say Bethlehem. And then you have Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the place where David, the, the servant of God, and, and, and he tried to figure out, God, where do you want me to place a temple? And it was going to be placed in Jerusalem. So Jerusalem was the city of David. It was the city David built. Not the city where he was born, but the city that he built. The city where he established the worship of Jehovah was in Jerusalem. But when Jesus came, he was not born in Jerusalem. He was born in Bethlehem. Now, Jerusalem, I want you to think, that, that's where everything was. I mean, all the stuff. I mean, they had neon signs and taxi cabs. And, I mean, it was a crazy place. Everybody went to Jerusalem. The whole nation had to go to Jerusalem over and over and over again throughout the year. A lot of them just stayed there. It became a giant metropolis. And everybody was there. They had Dillard's and they had Macy's. And they, I mean, anything you wanted, all the best shopping were there. They had taco trucks. I mean, it was good. It was the New York City of Israel. You could get anything there. Everybody wanted to go to the big city. In the big city, you could buy whatever you wanted, good and bad. You could go wherever you wanted, good and bad. You, you could certainly go into the temple and worship God, but you could also easily go to a house of prostitution. Every holy thing was there, and every entrapment of the enemy was there. And, and, and it became this big city, this big metropolis, and everybody had to go there several times a year by law. The city of David, Jerusalem. But when Jesus was born, he was not born in Jerusalem, but Bethlehem. Bethlehem was a little bitty town. Population, a chicken and a duck. Little town. Didn't have nothing. One stoplight. One convenience store. Nothing to do. Everybody was bored. Nothing going on there. Nobody wanted to go to Bethlehem. You only went to Bethlehem if you had to go to Bethlehem. 
You only went there if something made you go. Nobody, it was nothing desirous about it at all. There was nothing special about it. And yet Jesus, when he is born as this baby and the Messiah, not born in the city of David, Jerusalem, but the city of David, Bethlehem. And so the shepherds, when they hear the angels, they say, well, let's go see what God has done. So they rushed off to Bethlehem. Bethlehem was a place of humility. Everybody was poor. Nobody who had a lot of money. Nobody was famous. There were no rock stars. Everybody was just plain old folks, the poorest of the poor, the people everybody else had forgotten, and they were just there. And Jesus said, that's where I'm going to be born, where nobody is better than anybody else. You see, salvation doesn't begin in Jerusalem. It begins in Bethlehem. If you go to Jerusalem and forget about the humility of Bethlehem, then you go to Jerusalem with arrogance. You see, the city of Bethlehem taught humility. And so Jesus said, but before you go to Jerusalem, before you start offering your sacrifices, I want to make sure that you understand the humility of God so that when you start offering your sacrifice, you don't look down at your brother and say, well, mine was bigger than yours. So you don't say, well, I got more money to give to the church than you do. Or you start looking at somebody and say, well, well, at least I haven't done what they did. At least I have been a better Christian than they are. Because if you, go to Jeru- if you go to Jerusalem and miss Bethlehem, you miss how everything happens. If I have humility and then go into worship, then I offer a sacrifice to God that is pleasing to him. If I never go through Bethlehem and only go to Jerusalem, I become prideful, arrogant, and I think I'm better than everybody else. So Jesus said, I want you to go to Bethlehem first. Our response to Christmas should not just be to run and worship but to worship with humility. It, it shouldn't just be to, to live a life as a Christian, but to live in humility. The Bible says that I'm supposed to consider everybody else better than me. Amen? 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 Everybody better than me. You think about somebody you don't like right now, God says, I want you to treat them as if they're better than you. Praise the Lord. This makes me happy thinking about it. it we're, we're supposed to, to, to humble ourselves before the Lord. If you go to Jerusalem without Bethlehem, not only can you fall into to spiritual arrogance, but you can fall into hedonism. You can get into all the traps that are in the big city. You see, Bethlehem reminds us we had nothing before he showed up. And if I don't have him now, I still got nothing. But if I start thinking that I'm somebody, then I get prideful and pride moves me away from God. So then when the devil shows up and says, hey, you want to try some of this? Then I'm more inclined to do it. And, and when I'm going to Jerusalem and I miss the lesson of Bethlehem, everything gets messed up. I can be doing all the right things for the wrong reasons or I can fall into every trap the enemy has. And so what should we be doing? Not, not, not the day of Christmas. But because the Messiah came as a baby born in Bethlehem, we should live humble lives. We should live in humility. Who am I to hold a grudge against you? Am I better than you? Who am I to talk down to you? Am I better than you? Are we not all God's children? Are we not all equal before the Father? Does he not love us all the same? Then how can I act like I'm better? 
And how can I be so ungrateful to God that I allow myself to fall into the trappings of the world? And I get into addictions and I get into pornography and I get into all these different things and, and I forget that God saved my soul. Amen. And so when we think about Christmas, it ought to be a reminder that I need to remember who he is as the Messiah. He is the God that works in me. And I need to proclaim there are people that don't understand that. People still watching for this guy. But I also need to understand that I need to go through Bethlehem. There is a lesson to be learned in the humility of the nativity. When you look at that and you see that the God of the universe came in the form of a child, born in a stable, lying in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. Then who are we to complain because it's too hot? It's too cold. I don't have enough money. Are y'all with me? This should be our response to Christmas. The way of Jerusalem was natural. If you're going to go to Bethlehem, you have to get outside yourself. You have to go a different way. We have to pursue it. Amen? Let me share with you one more. Luke chapter 2, verse 17 through 20. When the shepherds, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Amen. Our response to Christmas must be to praise the true meaning of Christmas. To praise it. What, what changed for the shepherds? Did they suddenly have more money? Did all of a sudden the Roman soldiers leave them alone? Did they not have to pay tax anymore to the people oppressed? Nothing changed for them. All they heard was this child that is the Messiah has been born. All that changed is now they had hope in the middle of their crisis. That was all that was different. So what did they do? They went around praising God. When was the last time you praised God for what he hadn't done yet? Amen? I don't know if you understood what I'm saying. Because we like, it's easy to praise God when he's done something for us. Lord, thank you for giving me the money to buy some bluebell. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Thank you for giving me this wife that rubs my feet and toes every night. Thank you, Lord, for this son who's so handsome, even bald. Thank you for this house. Thank you. But when was the last time you were in need and you still, Lord, I'm going to praise you anyway. I'm going to praise you anyway. That's the true meaning of Christmas. That Christ has come and he's working in me. The world is still a stable, but he's in me. There's still stench and filth and pain, and suffering, and heartache, but inside of me is the Prince of Peace, mighty God, wonderful counselor, amen? And, and, and so it, it should change things. It, it, it should be what, what we praise about. Now, how, now, the reason I'm saying this is because we don't do this, because what we do is we complain. We complain when God doesn't show up and just move everything. We said, Lord, fix my husband, and when he doesn't, then we get mad. Lord, make, make this person 
drive away from me so I don't have to deal with them. We, we get upset. Lord, give me this job. Make this happen. I need this miracle. Well, do this, do this, do this. And when it doesn't happen, we get upset. We get depressed. We get down. We mope around. Instead, what we ought to be saying, my God is on the throne. And, and if it doesn't happen today, he has said he will take care. I may not know how he's going to do it, but I know that he will be there for me. Amen. I know he will be there for me. I don't know when. I don't know how. I don't know who's going to help me. I don't know anything. It may be somebody who doesn't like me today, and next week they're going to give me $1,000. I don't know what's going to happen. All I know is he said, I will supply all of your needs. I will supply all of your needs. That's the true meaning of Christmas is every day, every moment, we have this hope that no matter how horrible the stable is, the baby is the treasure, and the baby is in me. And the baby is in you. The Messiah born in a manger is the hope that we all have in this life. Amen? In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Thank you, Jesus. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but never abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Why? Because the Messiah is a baby. That's who he is. And no matter what your stable looks like, you have hope today. Because he was born. And he came. And he lives in us. Amen? Just stand up with me. I want to pray with you for a second. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, the real meaning of this season... It's about a God who doesn't forget me. About a God who says, I will never, never leave you nor forsake you. <coughs> Heavenly Father, it, it, it's about a, a God who says, I will stay with you even through the valley of the shadow of death. Oh, Lord, help us to praise you for that. Help us to be grateful, Lord, that no matter what the stable looks like, no matter what it smells like, we are with the Messiah. Lord, let every day be the day that we hear the angels say, Today has been born unto you a Savior, the Messiah. The King of kings and the Lord of lords, the God who sustains me in trouble. The one who is an ever-present help when I need it most. 
the God who gives grace that I don't deserve, and the God who's working everything for my good. Jesus. Be our hope again. Be our hope again. Lord, we want to lift up every person in this place. Lord, every person. Lord, we, we recognize the places of our stable where things look bad and look horrible. And it feels like everything is wrong. But Lord, in this very moment right here, let your Holy Spirit rain down upon us and remind us that you are near. That your Spirit lives in us. And we have no reason to fear. For you have come, the Messiah born in a manger. Hey, I just want to say thank you for your time and listening today. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and share us with your friends. Also, remember to follow us on social media. If you ever find yourself in the area, we would love to see you on a Sunday morning at 1040 a.m. Thank you again, and we'll see you next week.